Welcome to the Awakened Collective, where we explore the topics of love, spiritual consciousness, and our divine purpose on this planet. Join us as we uncover the truth that our thoughts shape our reality. Welcome, everyone, to episode two. I'm really excited to be here tonight with you here at the Awakened Collective, where our mission is awakening hearts to love, elevating collective consciousness, and transforming this human journey. You are loved. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to the first podcast, check it out. But you are loved. You are the divine extension of your creator here on this planet. And if at any point in time you want to reach out by, with just a comment or a question, you can always reach out to me at rickgregory at theawakenedcollective.org, and I will certainly respond. So thanks for being here tonight. I have a, an honor, and I am so humbled. I have a special guest with me here tonight, Brian O'Shea. Brian and I really don't know each other all that well. Um, I would just like to say that I have been in meetings that Brian has attended, and he has shared in those meetings. In one particular meeting, he gave a brief overview of his story. And you know when that something just happens inside you, and your heart starts to beat out of your chest, and I said to myself, I need to know this man. You know, I had started a spiritual journey myself, beginning to awaken And some of the things he was saying were just really hitting home for me. But you know what I thought? I said to myself, that man probably has a line of people waiting to get to meet him and to know him. So I am so grateful. I got to have dinner with this man tonight. And I'm telling you, just that short period of time, I've told him probably three or four times already, you need to write a book. Um, His life is just amazing. And the the most wonderful thing about this man is that he exudes kindness and love. That's what attracted me to him. His story is marvelous, but it's the kindness and love that I know changes lives, and it's already changed mine. And I appreciate you for that, Brian. So what I'm going to ask is for Brian, our special guest, to tell us a little bit about himself Um, what your endeavors are. I know that you've started recently a new podcast, which I've had the opportunity to listen to some of those, and they're wonderful. But what I'm personally most interested in um, is what you have awakened to to be your purpose on this planet um, through all of the myriad of experiences you've had and as you've shared with me, and it's so obvious, the synchronicity of the universe working together to, to make you the wonderful human being you are today. So welcome, and I'm turning it over to you, sir. Thank you so much. I'm humbled. I'm very humbled and very grateful. I have always felt very safe with you, and I have always felt immediately your mind is strong, and your mind is moving in a positive healing direction. I've always felt that from you. Thank you for that, sir. You're a very thoughtful man. grateful to be here and what a wonderful question I remember a few years ago I was lucky to be having a meal with Deborah and Jeff Jay they 
are the famous interventionists who wrote a book called Love First. And that book was about how to not hire them. (laughs) (laughs) And I always loved them for that. It's actually a brilliant book. I often tell families to read it. And Deborah J. said to me, what do you feel your purpose is? And it was one of those illuminated evenings to be with these special people. And I said, my work, my life, my hope is to remove fear from family systems and to bring hope. So that was a while ago. That was a few years ago. And I will say now, it's still along the same lines, the removal of fear, the recovery from trauma, the improvement of cognitive thought process that helps people have less perfectionism, less racing mind, less difficulty, freedom from self, if you will. So improving the quality of people's lives is my hope, my goal, and it it's part of everything I do. That's wonderful. I got this picture one time, Brian, that you, I think you can appreciate this. These things happen to me. They're kind of weird, but uh, I, can't, I don't know if you'd call it a vision or not, but just out of the blue, I got this picture of this hose. I think I've already shared this with you, but this hot hose in the backyard Um, And this was when I believe the universe was talking to me about my purpose because it was this hose that was dancing under the water faucet, just getting wet because it was hot Um, and not remembering um, that its purpose was to be connected to its source. So that that source could rush through that hose, you know, and the joy of the sprinkles, you know, was exciting the hose, but having that run through the hose to then serve the purpose of watering the dying plants, you know, and it was as if the universe was saying, Rick, that is your purpose. You know, it's to be of service. It's to give back. And that is where the greatest joy is. Have you found that to be true? Very much, very much. Anything I've ever done, I have benefited from it more than the people I've helped. That's in every aspect of my life, my private life, my professional life. It's great to heal people. It's great to heal people. It's an honor to heal people, to be a sacred conduit, to be a sacred mirror, to be a channel through which the information flows is a great blessing. And I've been blessed. I've helped a lot of people. And experiencing their healing, I benefit more than they do. Mm -hmm. It gives my life meaning. Yes. Helping a lot of folks in recovery, myself, you know, I'm probably nowhere near as many as you've come across, but just that point when you see the light come on, you know, in their eyes, um, and they begin to see that they're changing, you know, and they don't really understand why other than that they've just opened themselves up to the fact that there is a power out there greater than me that somehow work. Um, and they begin to see things so differently. And one particular, one of my sponsees is, um, 
just got his year chip a few months ago and was sharing um, uh, the, the difference between the moment they walked in the room, you know, and tears broken, not knowing, not believing that there was even a life to live and seeing their life today. There is, there really is no greater joy. And to be able to play a part in that is just amazing to me. To be a sacred witness and to see hope be created. Mm-hmm. It's really quite something. It sure is. So tell us about your podcast. Talking Triumphs. Talking about Triumphs. Triumph Talks. I've been very blessed with some beautiful guests. Amanda Copeland, Copeland Consulting national group that helps with eating disorders and national group in response to mental health, Morgan Grace with the Alchemy Collective, the beautiful work she is doing. And I'm so honored I'm going to be doing a men's group under her guidance that starts in November. And Matt Brown, my wonderful friend, the interventionist, And then Nick Borges, the highly educated clinician with the beautiful Hartwood Recovery Center. I've been very blessed meeting all these highly educated, highly talented people. And I'm reminded of uh, that word, the bodhisattva, you know, the enlightened people. I'm surrounded by and I accidentally meet these wonderful people. So my podcast more and more will become the guest and then a lesson from me, a focused lesson from me, where I will be offering a specific idea and a specific triumph with a personal story. So it's evolving. My podcast is evolving. I'm so grateful for this podcast team, Daniel and his team, I'm so grateful. Thank you, Daniel. They've taught us so much. They've taught me so much. And it's such high quality. I know my friend Matt Brown is hoping to hire Daniel. So the podcast is about triumphs. It's about the truth that there has been pain and there can be triumphs. And... To find the courage to keep going is the thing. And my Zen friends, because I practice Zen at B.B. Wolf Studio, my Zen friends have a beautiful way. At the end of the set, they do an invocation, a beautiful invocation, and the last thing they say is, stay. That idea of staying on the mat, staying in the present, Mm. staying in your breath, stay. And that I find very helpful for people that I'm helping. Stay. Give yourself another breath. Give yourself another chance. Give yourself blessings. Give yourself self-forgiveness. Give yourself grace. Yeah. Stay. Mm-hmm. I love that. Why do you think we have such a hard time staying in the moment? Well, I know for me, it's trauma. I had crib trauma and also my understanding of trauma and the way I understand it is my mother was in great fear when she was pregnant with me because there were troubles in the home. 
So it's my theory, my belief, that when I was prenatal, when I was in the womb, there was fear in the in me as a as a tr- uh, preborn child. So for me, I was born in fear, and I that was my first thing. And some people did not have trauma, but I think perhaps they may simply be aware of the world we're in right now. I had the blessing of being trained by one of the big Zen guys. The way I got to go was my client decided not to go, and he gave me the golden ticket. So suddenly I was in a very special training And he said something that helped me a lot. He said, practice breath, practice meditation, practice your spiritual practices, whatever they are. And if you feel a little anxiety, it's not that you're not practicing it correctly. It's that you are aware of how this planet is at this moment. Mm-hmm. You know, World War One or two, <clears throat> September 11th, what happened yesterday in Israel, the pandemic. If you're feeling a little anxious, it actually means you are accurately gauging the situation. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But also, you know, Pascal said, the the wonderful philosopher and and artist Pascal, Blaise Pascal, he said a long time ago, this world would improve if only people could sit in a room and be quiet. Very prophetic. He said it a long time ago. So I think on our journey these last two or three thousand years this has been a challenge Mm -hmm. certainly has i can really relate to um not so much your story as far as the way that you uh, had fear even before you came onto the planet um but growing up in a family of alcoholism sexual abuse um you know we we shape at least my understanding is that I, i shaped my picture of myself from what I was collecting from the external, you know, from what people would say or do or behaviors of other people. And I began to see myself through those lenses and through this journey, being able to unpack a lot of that and, and recognize that we really all are just a collection of our experiences, you know, and, and the way we see things are based on our past, you know, and being able to stay in the moment and see something as brand new without relating it to some past experience or some past event or something like that and to just recognize this is a brand new moment and rather than project our past onto it and rob us of the joy that's in this moment um, that we can see it differently you know and it also helps me to stay out of judgment when i recognize that people behave in manners that and this in alignment with what they think about themselves you know, and it's it's that healing that's needed. And when you can see that, you can extend some grace um, and know that, you know, we're all on this journey together. Um, and, 
you know, I see it in myself that I have, you know, I, I've collected a lot of information. A lot of it has been wrong. But as a kid, how do you know? You know, we're sponges. You know, I said it's like we come to this planet as a sponge with amnesia. <laughs> you know, at the same time, we're collecting information. We've forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten our source. And, and we're just believing everything we're hearing. I'm informing our own opinions of ourselves and the world around us. Until one day, by God's grace somehow, you know, the light shines in. And you can reevaluate and you can stop and you can question um, and that's a good thing. You know, I found that to be a really good thing. I was told that it wasn't something that was allowed growing up. You know, this, I'm the authority. And, and so we live with these ideas that are diametrically opposed to what we know in our soul to be the truth. And you wonder why we're depressed or anxious. You know, I'm trying to hold on to something I'm told is the way I'm supposed to see this thing, but it doesn't agree with what's inside. It took me decades to get through that. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> oh, it makes perfect sense. The avalanche of the ancestors and the fearful decisions that were made to survive migrations and depressions and life and the interior voice of harsh self-judgment that's passed down through generations. And we now know that, yes, we get it culturally from parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends in our culture, but we now also know the epigenetics include some of these messages of fear, of perfectionism, of less than. Mm. So it's absolutely a pain travels through families until someone has the courage to feel it, process it, and change it in an alchemy kind of way. And then they are the, the, the generation breaker. Then the generations beneath them can be different. Mm. That's beautiful. And so true. You know, I was, I was reading recently where someone was driving behind a vehicle where they had just taken, like, say, a whole McDonald's bag of food and just threw it out the window. And, um, you know, the thoughts that come when you see someone do something like that, you know, how idiotic and, you know, they, all kinds of things that you think. And this individual was saying, but do you understand the family perhaps that they grew into, the examples that they have seen? And unless you know what they have experienced in their life, and not just in their life, but as you've stated, generationally. You know, it has gone on. That kind of thinking and those experiences have gone on for generations. Um, it just helps you to see a little differently. We have compassion. We don't know what that person's going through. We don't know how they've arrived here today. Mm -hmm. That is true. You know, and I, I mentioned it already, but just... Believing, and I, I, you know, some of the things that I'm learning now, I would probably be viewed by my old days church friends as a heretic, <laughs> for sure. Um, you know, but just understanding that, you know, I, I spent decades believing that I was born into sin, as I shared with you at dinner, you know, that I was evil, um, and that was just my condition, um, and that I could 
receive God's love, but it was based on behavior. You know, that, that whole mentality. That's what I grew up with. I grew up with the works mentality. As long as I was doing the right thing, God was on my side. When I failed, you know, it was just the obvious, my obvious nature at work that, you know, I was evil. Um, and understanding today that we, are, we come into this planet innocent. We are innocent. And we have never been disconnected from our source. How could we be? You know, that's, and yet that was mind-blowing to me when that finally dawned on this marble head. You know, it, we have never been disconnected from our creator. Um, and I, I think I shared in my first episode, it's like if I was a painter and I painted you this beautiful painting, Brian, even though I gave it to you, it would never be separate from me because it came from me. Mm. Beautiful. You know, and we came from our creator, from God. And, you know, I, I know that it's been said that the most difficult time people have of, of reaching God is the concept God or the word God. So can you talk a little bit about what that means to you? Like how we assign meaning to words and how that creates blocks for us from to being able to, to see things clearly or see things as they really are? Absolutely, absolutely. And to respond a little bit with the we were created in goodness, John Claypool, the great theologian, played a large role in my life. And his benediction that I love so much has in it, we were born in the goodness of God, we were born. And I love that that was the first part of his benediction, in the goodness of God we were born. So when we think about the words, it's very powerful, the words. And as I was talking to you earlier, part of my studies are the Celtic studies. The Celtic studies are 7,000 years old. And part of the Celtic studies include, they talk about, 7,000 years ago when God was a woman. And the Celtic offer that and they feel that. And they're very connected to nature and the trees and the streams and the sun and the moon. And I'm very blessed being a Bronx kid and a New York City area kid and a Los Angeles kid. I'm very blessed with a lot of Jewish community I'm very blessed, very grateful. And as you know, there's a large part of that community, and it's G symbol D. They don't say the word God. They don't print the word God. It's, it's so holy, there's no word for it. Mm. You know, and I've always found that wonderful. You know, it reminds me of Carl Jung with the old Stoic quote from Erasmus, the Advocat con Advocatus, called or not called, the divine mystery will be. You know, the divine mystery. And words and our relationship to words, they have a lot to do with what was happening when we heard them yeah. in our lives. And words, I can remember as a very young, young person reading in a book that was in the rack in the church, 
if you perform this service for one year on every first Friday, you will get 300 years off in purgatory. (laughs) And I remember reading that. And I said to myself, that's pretty powerful. The relationship to words and our ability to connect, so much of what I do is allowing people to be open to the possibility of being open to the possibility of being open to the possibility (laughs) that there is something that you could connect to and that you're worthy to connect Mm -hmm. and it's okay to reach out and try to connect. And I love the different phrases and the different ideas, spirit of the universe, intelligent mind. I love all the different ideas. I think that saved me when I came into the AA program, because when I first came in, you know, I had some major chips on my shoulder and I had pastored a church for a number of years and I was in the process of unlearning a lot of things that just were not true. The going back to those things that I held on to that were diametrically opposed to the truth that was in me and coming in there and finding out that I could find a God of my own understanding You know, to me, that fell in line with the whole heretic thing. You know, I would have said that that was blasphemy years ago. Um, And yet, if I, and I've had sponsees do this, where you write down, what would this God, call it whatever you want, but what would this entity look like, or this frequency, or whatever you want to call it? What would it look like? And you know, everything that's written down is, you know, kind, gracious, loving, forgiving, non, non, non-judgmental. I mean, you see it over and over again. And where is that coming from? It's coming from in here. And where does this being exist, the kingdom of God in me? You know, it's coming from within me. And, and yet we deny ourselves that truth and listen to all this other stuff. Um, it really does take opening up your mind to believe there's a different way of seeing things if you'll allow yourself to do that. It has everything to do with deciding I am going to focus on this. I am going to focus on that. There's a beautiful old Zen story. The two monks are traveling through the woods, the older monk and the younger monk. Excuse me. The older monk and the younger monk And they come to a small river, and the older monk is looking up at the stars and how the stars are interacting with the tree and how the moon is interacting with the tree and the water and the stream. And the younger monk is only looking at the rocks and the mud and the difficulty of the crossing. Mm. For me, that's very helpful. It's up to me, what will I focus on? I'm at the exact same place right here at this moment. Will I focus on the stars and the possibilities, or will I focus on the difficulties? It's up to me. And with my thoughts, I create my reality. There you go. Yeah. And that's our free will right there. That's our choice. I didn't know that I could choose my thoughts. You know, there's billions of them going around out there. I didn't know that I had any any part in that, that I can actually choose what I think. 
is amazing. You know, we talked about it last night at a group that I could have an experience today. Someone could say something or do something that just totally ticks me off. Um, and yet a person right next to me could have the exact same experience and see it totally different. So that tells me that it's an illusion based on, you know, what I'm seeing, pulling crap from my past or maybe even from this morning because I spilled my coffee at breakfast or whatever it might be. That's, that's a lens now through which I'm seeing my entire day and interpreting everything through that. And the awareness, when we can just take the step back and be aware of our thoughts, that we, are, you know, it's, we have, someone said, you, where do you think? And they'd point to their head. And they said, okay, so if you have a thought about ice cream and then you decide maybe you don't want ice cream, it's like, how do you know that you had the thought? What thought is thinking that you had the thought? You know, there is another plane, you know, there's another, another place um, where we can step back and actually see and we can become the witness and make different choices. I love that. Yes, yes. And I'm reminded so much of Joseph Campbell and his study of comparative belief systems all around the world. And Joseph Campbell one time was asked during his three-night interview with Bill Moyers on public television, the title of the interview for three nights was Man, Myth, and Meaning. And so they asked Joseph Campbell, what is myth? He said, oh, I can tell you what myth is. I am practicing the religion that's correct. What I'm practicing is the correct religion. However, there's these people over there. They have this wonderful myth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's comparative world studies right there. That's the whole thing. That is so funny. What I'm doing is right, and what they're doing is really good. But it's just kind of a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a decision you make with your mind. Yep. I know I'm reading a book now called Power of Love by Fran Grace, who is a student of um, Dr. Hawkins, actually. Um, and she shares her story of how she had this experience in high school. Um, her, she's got an amazing story. But she's sitting in a classroom in high school, and she grew up in a very, I think it was a fundamentalist Baptist church, ended up going into a church that believed they were the only church, and unless you were baptized in that church. And she talks about that story and how she, like as a child, we believe that where authority's telling us this, it's got to be right, even though there's a check in my spirit down here, I still am doing what I'm told. And she, you know, she has this experience of this light. She said, I was surrounded, I'm in class, thinking about my tests that I had to take and um, boyfriend things and all of a sudden, I, I was just enveloped in the brightest light I had ever, uh, never experienced. And she said it was, it didn't even cast a shadow. And it didn't last that long, but I felt the most amazing love in that moment. And I, I didn't want to tell anybody about it. Um, and it was some time before she actually, her mother noticed that she just was acting differently. And so she explained what happened to her mom. And her mom said, that's it, we're taking you to see the pastor. And brought her into, brought her into the church, and, and she, in innocence, shared her story, this wonderful experience, and was told by those in authority it was of the devil. Oh, yeah. And then carrying that around, 
you know, and having to work now work through that, but it certainly has worked together for her good, <laughs> to say the least, because she is helping so many people today. But it just made me think of that when you talked about that's the myth. Yeah. And our suffering is part of our journey that often helps us so much. And it's fascinating when we look at, in a non judgmental way, some people need a specific type of religious practice that looks like this. Some people need a specific type of religious practice that looks like that. Some people need a spirituality that looks or sounds like this. Some people need a spirituality that looks or sounds like that. And so for me, it's so helpful. Let everybody find what they need. And I am respectful and wish them well Yes, with everything they're doing, whatever you're doing. You know, I can remember I was so lucky. My grandfather was in the very, very early days of AA. And I can remember a couple of his pals when someone would come in and they were doing a little better, they would say, well, what are you doing? And he'd say, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. They were open to it. If it was working for that guy, he said, okay, maybe we'll do a little bit of that. Whatever it was, I'm, I'm walking a labyrinth or I'm, I'm doing a devotional or whatever it was, they were open to because it was the early days in many ways for them of how they were evolving. So they were open to if that's working for you, good, and maybe I'll try some of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really is just um, allowing people to be themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I've seen, I'm sure you have too, uh, people have asked, you know, I've, I've read things, little clips on Facebook, you know, what, what's one thing that you would change if you could change something about your past? And I had to really think about that, you know, because... There might have been a time, certainly, you know, I, I lost the, at the at 2010, the love of my life to an accidental overdose. You know, I've had cancer. I had a fire, a house fire. I've all these things. But when I, today, where I'm at today, I can't on I can, I can't say that I would change anything. I certainly don't want to repeat it. <laughs> That's right. You know, but I see how everything, the synchronicity again, how everything has worked together for my good. Oh, yeah, the journey's the journey, absolutely. And my immediate thought when you offered that question, I would like to have been kinder. You know, like, what would I like to change? I wish I had been kinder, or I wish I had been more awakened earlier. Yes, I would agree with you on that one. I was thinking more of events that I would have changed, but certainly I would have liked to have known than what I know today. Yes. And maybe a little more. <laughs> yes. I said recently with my with my uh, Zen group, I said uh, we were in uh, informal uh, community, and I said I am very pleasantly surprised at how well this whole thing has turned out mm. <laughs> for me. <laughs> And all those moving parts, Brian. Man, <laughs> your story is amazing. And I only heard a piece of it. It's just, how can anyone not believe there's some other power at work? That's just, it's, uh, it's really amazing. And speaking of, we talked about names. We talked about, you know, the, 
just putting meaning with to names god and what keeps people from actually reaching god is the concept god and all of the connotations and um you know that, that we give that um there was a you know a story and i talked to you about it earlier tonight but about a man whose son was infatuated by a little bird flying around you know when the kids they you know my kids were little they asked questions constantly <laughs> I wish I could redo some of that, you know, just having a little bit more patience. And, um, you know, I, I, it's kind of, I've heard people say, wish you could live your life backwards because there are things that I really wish that I could change with the way that I dealt with, you know, raising children and yet trying to raise a family and work a job and put food on the table and all the things that occupy a young 20 something year old mind. Um, and having a child that you, have an opportunity, such an opportunity to invest in um, and let them know, you know, that whatever they believe their purpose to be, to follow it, you know. Um, but here's this little child and they're looking at all these birds and said, Daddy, what's this? What's that? And asked, Daddy, look at this bird. And the, the dad just says, oh, that's a sparrow. And the book I was reading said that child will never look at that bird again, the same way again. And then the quote that I mentioned um, from Krishnamurti, the day you teach the child the name of the bird, the child will never see that bird again. Yes. I was wondering what you thought about that. It's one of Krishnamurti's most important concepts for me. He wrote an entire book entitled On Relationship. And it talks about, am I the seer? Am I the witness? Who is thinking the thoughts? Who, who is the thought, and on relationship to the thought, on relationship to this couch, on relationship to this moment. And it's one of his m- most interesting books because it helps in a very straightforward way, helps me look at Relationship, in my point of view, is a decision that I make. And I can be, if I'm open to it, more skillful and more thoughtful about it in a way that allows myself to be more open to the many different possibilities and points of view of the concept I'm looking at, the physical thing I'm looking at, the event I'm in the middle of. Krishnamurti, his book on relationship, it's the one book of his that I reread many, many times. And it is, in many ways, one of those daily practices for me to remember to move back into having a more open-minded approach to most of what I will experience today Mm -hmm. on Relationship by Krishnamurti, a wonderful book. It's all about your relationship to your mind, your thoughts, and your reality. Have you ever done any or know anything about mirror work? Oh, certainly. 
Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, I'm not very skilled in it, but I had a brilliant therapist in New York City that did some work with that with me, and it was very helpful for me. It was very freeing for me. And the whole thing with sophisticated modalities like that is you got to have the right practitioner. You know, and I was just lucky in those years, there weren't many people doing a lot of that work. But what are your thoughts about it? I, I don't know much of the whole science, if you will, behind it, other than <laughs> I was instructed to give it a shot. And I just know that um, standing in front of a mirror and looking at yourself and telling yourself that you love yourself um, was my first exercise. And it, it is uncomfortable. And what does that tell you? Um, sells you so much. Yeah, I mean, twice for me, I had the blessing of tears. And it's very helpful for me because I don't have access to tears that often. More so now, I've been blessed to have gone through a lot of good therapeutic modalities in the last five years. So more so now I have access to the blessing of tears. But I can remember the mirror work being profound in that two different exercises with the mirror work, I had the blessing of tears. Mm -hmm. And I therapeutically, I have been taught and I practice. There are certain pieces of music and there are certain movies and there are certain places that help me open that up and it's certainly part of grief work structured grief work is to go someplace to have a good cry Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's long overdue yeah i had someone i was sharing with last night tell me that they had actually just come from a meeting. And oftentimes, you know, when you're in a meeting environment with a lot of different people that perhaps you go to on a regular basis with a lot of the same people, um, there are some that you have a little difficulty listening to. Uh, and this individual was just saying that uh, what he was, he was recognizing, this is what I mean by eyes opening. He was recognizing that what he saw in someone else was actually how he saw himself. You know, and I, I mean, that goes, and I was thinking of the, the mirror, that, you know, we are really mirrors of one another. You said some wonderful things to me in a text earlier today, and I said, well, you, you're, it's like you're, look, you're looking in a mirror. If, because what we see in others, we see in ourselves. Would you agree with that? Oh, very much so. And we're blessed when we have these sacred mirrors in our lives, and we're blessed when we are able to realize that in real time I'm often a day later I look back and say that was special (laughs) me too and you know as a trauma recovery person there's a joke among some of our trauma groups sometimes when someone sincere says well how are you and it's uh, whatever it is it's 615 on Wednesday night when they're asking me and I say tomorrow at 715 I'm going to call you because I'll be able to look back at now 615 today a day later 
and I'll be able to tell you how I was feeling now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right now, I'm not entirely sure, but tomorrow when I'm able to look back on it in a distance, I'll have a complete, yes. a- accurate description of how I'm doing. <laughs> there really is something about hindsight, for sure. And distance from the moment for us trauma people. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've said that before, that, you know, if I could just behave the way that way in the moment or see it that way in the moment. There's always some amount of delay for me too, you know, Hmm. something certain to think about. I wanted to, um, I'm going to actually, this is something I still wanted to share. Um, One of the, how sad it is if we pass through life and never see it with the eyes of a child. We are invited not to become children, but to become like children and getting in touch with that kid in me. Um, I shared this in my first meeting briefly, but I had a a dream that was life-changing for me. I was in my 20s when I had the dream, and uh, we were at my grandparents' house, and we were cleaning up their house because they had passed away in this dream. They were still alive in real life at the time, but and I was helping my mom and, and my, my father pick up things around their house and put it in boxes. And I went to go into the kitchen and they have a um, basement door. This was in Massachusetts where they all have basements. Um, and I opened the door uh, and there was a boy standing at the top step, absolutely filthy, tear-stained face, probably about seven or eight years old, crying. And um, I was so overwhelmed with love and compassion for this kid. And I'm like, my goodness, how, how did you get here? And he just looked at me and he said, I've got, I got lost and I've been, I've been knocking, but no one's been opening the door. And I just remember wrapping my arms around that kid in tears, hugging him. We fell to the floor and I'm like, you are loved. You are safe. You are safe. And he turned and looked me right in the face and it was me. You know, it was like, I was my second grade picture of my, you know, my, that I remember having taken in second grade, but getting in touch with yourself and loving yourself I just, I don't think there's anything more wonderful because how can we love another if we do not love ourselves? Oh, yes, absolutely. A large part of my recovery has always been in the adult children of alcoholics and the adverse childhood experiences recovery and all of that. That recovery of the inner child and the original child, you know, it's a process and it's a worthy journey. Mm -hmm. It's a worthy journey. So I think it's beneficial to talk to that child sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know? And think of yourself, you know, as a child. We, I, I know in my upbringing I missed out on a lot. You know, I've spent a lot of time in fear as well. And in fact, in that grandparent's house that we were cleaning in that dream, my grandfather was uh, an abuser. And so there was a lot of fear in that house of trying to escape, you know, where he sat and run by his chair and not get, you know caught by him and all of those things. And um, so for it to, for that dream to have taken place, it, that was more profound for me because I think that's might've been where I got a little lost. Oh, it's a profound moment. And it's very profound that you saw it. We're taught by Jungian dream analysts that everyone in a dream is us, but you really inspirationally saw it. Mm. I do a lot of work with internal family systems therapy, and they talk about parts all the time. And parts work is 
the different parts of yourself, the fireman, the protector, the this, the that, and you're speaking to your adolescent self or you're speaking to your childhood self, you're speaking to your young adult self. Very powerful work, the internal family systems work. Very exactly what you're talking about. It's funny, um, Dr. Hawkins talks about, he was talking about dieting, and um, he remembered sitting at, sitting at a table where this man in his 40s or 50s came with a plate of food, and he said he watched him, and he could see the child come over him and how he ate his food and then the dessert. And, and, and people were saying, well, asking him how they would you know, get control over their diet. And he said, put a sign on your refrigerator that says adults only. Because it's the child that's going to go in and eat everything. And it's the adult in you that will then want to rep- reprimand that child. So I, they both exist in us, you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. And we can parent. We can still parent that child in us. You know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. At least that's the way I understand it. Yeah, becoming a loving parent to yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a big part of my personal journey. Mm. This is um, a, something that I had put down. I wanted to read from DeMello as well. But there's something else inside us that is precious. A precious pearl, a treasure. The reign of God inside us. If we would only discover that... The great tragedy of life lies not in how much we suffer, but in how much we miss. Human beings are born asleep, live asleep, and die asleep. Maybe we're not born asleep, we're born awake, but as the brain develops, we fall asleep. We have our children asleep, we raise children asleep, handle big business deals asleep, enter government office asleep, and die asleep. We never wake up. This is what spirituality is about, waking up. We're living in a drunken stupor. It's as though we were hypnotized or drugged, and we don't know what we're missing. I want folks to know what they're missing. (laughs) Don't you? Beautiful, the awakening, the awakening. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with us, Brian? And you... I didn't know if you brought anything with you you wanted to share. Well, how are we doing time-wise? We have uh, 50 minutes. We have time. Five zero. Yes. Oh, okay, great, great. Actually, yeah, let me pull this poem out about connecting with your, chi- with your child. Awesome. Let me do that. This poet is an amazing person, Frank LaRue Owens, Frank Lou Owens, paternal line are theologians and theology professors and English professors, and his maternal line are all cowboys. And from the age of 11 on, all summer with the cowboys in Arizona, and his life was great education as a, I think, English professor, I think, was one of the goals and he, at one point, finishes a great achievement in education, and he had been planning for many years to go spend some time with the hidden poets in the ecological forests, the forest bathing forests in Japan. And he went and lived with them for a long time, 
And it was the eco-poets, the lost land poets. And it's this beautiful mixture of theologians and English professors and cowboys and then living with the Japanese poets for years. And it's that wonderful place where in Japan your doctor can give you a prescription to go walk around in the forest for a few weeks, forest bathing, Mm. because that's what actually heals you being in the deep forests. And fascinating, from those forests, the chips that fall off the bark naturally, that fall off the trees naturally, a whole industry of healing came up. They would take the chips and they would put them in atomizers, room humidifiers in cancer hospitals all over the world. And those essential oils from those ancient forests, very healing for the patients. And also they would put it in the lounge of the nurses and the lounge of the doctors from that exact forest. So this is Frank LaRue Owens, The Bouquet of the Last Direction. When the soul becomes unburdened, it's like a new saddle on a fresh horse. Suddenly the trail feels right again, and the strong horizon line in front of you as you turn becomes its own form of soothing medicine. Something of the sting and burn of the old poisons may linger, but you're having crossed over from the Shadowlands into new open territory, you can pick up the scent of blooming flowers within you. You start to notice all the things you hadn't been because you've been so bound up with all the echoes of losses and hauntings and regrets. You know you're ready when the ghosts start chanting from the edge of your consciousness. Traveler, good traveler, your crying for a vision time is over. Time now to re-inhabit the human world. Then the simplest of 10,000 things start to reach out to you to welcome you home again. The morning star, the gentle dawn the blue sky with its utter completeness, the serrated clouds coming over the rising pine-covered hills. You may find the wandering wild animal of your heart is somehow more free to travel back through time, to pick back up with the sources of beauty and power you had put down. And maybe, just maybe, You'll see yourself now through your childhood eyes. Mm. Maybe, just maybe, you'll see yourself now through your childhood eyes and you'll stand forgiven and realize the magic you had in childhood never left you. You just forgot how to listen. Mm. That was beautiful. It's an awakening poem, right? Mm-hmm. We, we wake back up and we can listen and listen again. But it reminded me exactly of what you said, reconnect to the child. <clears throat> A thought that I wanted to offer. 
the movement of grace is what changes us, heals us, and heals our world. To summon grace, say, help, help me, and then buckle up. Grace finds you exactly where you are, but it doesn't leave you where it found you. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's perfect. Anne Lamott. I'm very blessed. Mississippi gave me my vocation. And Frederick Buchner, the wonderful theologian, I studied a lot at the Laity Lodge. Your vocation in life is where your greatest joy, joy meets the world's greatest need. I love that. Your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Young said, if you want to be wise, be eternally curious, reclaiming your childlike status. There is a place of silence where whispers of the heart arise and every breath carves in your soul. I like that idea. One of the oldest spiritual phrases that that I'm aware of, and I tried to do some research, the Gayatri. May we together understand the light which is in the sun. That light illuminates our mind. This light represents reality. And along your your thought, your ideas of thoughts, follow effective action with quiet reflection. With powerful thoughts, return to quiet reflection. With powerful thoughts and quiet reflection will come even more effective action. Love it. Those are beautiful. Thank you so much. The thing that I am often called to is the uh, that idea of Carl Jung, called or not called, the divine mystery will be there. And I think my, my life every day is, will I come out of isolation? Will I move towards the divine? Or will I move towards connection? Or will I move towards community? And I think for me, that's a daily challenge. Called or not called, the great reality is there. Called or not called, the inner child is there to connect with. Will I have the courage to move, to move towards it and come out of isolation? Letting go gives us freedom, and freedom is the only condition for happiness. If in our heart we still cling to anything, anger, anxiety, or possessions, or resentments, we cannot be free. Thich Nhat Hanh. And then more from, from my, my trying to achieve good thinking, as you so beautifully have brought this evening, appreciating the best oneness in life today. Help me watch and listen to my body, 
my feelings, my mental formations, my perceptions, and my consciousness. Don't dwell too much on the past. Don't dwell too much on the future. You know, in that beautiful James Joseph Campbell thing again, when we talk about heaven and hell, he offered this moment is heaven, right here, this moment. This is where the present meets consciousness, meets possibility, and meets serenity if we move towards it. Mm. It's a decision we make with our mind. Yes. Yep, in this present moment is where the divine and us intersect. You know, yes, like, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Love that. I'm interested in your book, your your mindfulness book. Okay. I hadn't even mentioned that in my first podcast, but um, I do have actually a couple of books that are available on Amazon. Um, the first one is that... Was just a, it's called the Awakened Collective 30-Day Mindfulness Challenge. And it's especially good for those who may not be used to mindfulness at all. <laughs> I certainly wasn't for a long time. Um, it's 30 days of just, it gives you, there are some beautiful quotes, personal stories, some things to contemplate, um, and then there's some prompts to take some, to do some writing, um, but it's, I would really encourage folks to get a copy of that. And uh, so again, that's the Awakened Collective 30-Day Mindfulness Challenge. It is on Amazon. And the story I shared earlier about the hose, um, my hose vision and finding purpose, that ended up becoming a children's book for me. So I have a children's book out there called Harry the Hose Remembers His Purpose. Um, and I don't think it's where it's, we need to get let our kids know that their purpose is real from the day they step foot on this planet. I think we've known about it all along. And we've forgotten, as Brian has so wonderfully shared, and then we wake up to it again one day, hopefully. And, and our desire for everyone, both watching and listening to this podcast, is to welcome you home. Come home. Wake up. Return. Return. Mm. Any questions or comments can be um, directed again to Rick Gregory at theawakencollective.org. Was there something else you wanted to share, Brian? Yeah, there was one other thing I forgot to mention. With my dear friend Morgan Grace, with the Alchemy Collective in Austin, there is a Stronger Together men's virtual group that will start in November. Every Tuesday, a virtual Zoom group, starting at five thirty for an hour and a half, for an hour and a half, and the Alchemy Collective is the host. It's a, I will be leading the group, a men's collective group looking at life, meaning, anxiety reduction, recovery from life. Life presents. Mm. Life presents, as James Hollis says. So that men's virtual group, every Tuesday starting November 7th, call 512-730-9495 for the Stronger Together Men's Virtual Group under the Alchemy Collective Morgan Grace of Austin. Could you give that number one more time? 512 730 9495 
for the men's virtual group begins November 7th, every Tuesday, 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. Call to sign up. And you can come twice a month or four times a month. You don't have to come all four times. You can, we, it, that's a drop-in system. We allow you to come when the schedule allows. So the men's virtual group with the Morgan Grace Alchemy Collective, 512-730-9495. And I'm very, very honored to do this. This came from a lot of people I used to help when I lived in Driftwood, Texas, in Austin, Texas. They kept asking for a Brian or Shea group. So um, I love it. I'm very humbled and very grateful and looking forward. That's awesome, Brian. Well, y'all, I think you know why I love this guy. Thank you for gracing us with your presence tonight and your wisdom, your love and kindness overflows. I'm deeply honored, friend. I'd love to have you come back. I'm deeply honored. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. I'm humbled and honored. Thank you, everyone. What fun. (laughs) Hey.